Hey, what's up everybody? This is Matt. I am not dead. <laughs> um, wanted to, to kind of do a quick little intro here in the beginning. Uh, the last year uh, has seen me change jobs, uh, move back home. I am now working for uh, the nerdfitness.com and their coaching program, which has been Super, super cool, and also super, super intense learning curve that I didn't expect when I first came in. Um, it's just a, a totally different ball game. So this past year kind of put the podcast and any kind of social media stuff on hold and really been working through those changes, working through being in a new city with the kids, getting them adjusted, um, learning a ton of stuff, uh, which and connecting with new people. Um, in my in the nerd fitness community and beyond, and I really feel like this has been an incredibly important time of growth for me. And I, just over the last couple months, I've started thinking about sharing the the kind of growth and the stuff that I've been going through, um, and and understanding better uh, with everybody out there uh, in the hope that something I've gone through could be something that is meaningful and helpful to you and that these new lessons are meaningful and useful to you. Um, feel like it was really important to kind of take a break from the podcast in other ways too. I think creatively I was kind of at kind of an end point where I needed to, I had kind of shared all I had to share in some ways, um, had shared some of the, a lot of the voices that were meaningful to me and it was time to kind of go internally and uh, really spend some time thinking and experiencing. So I'm super excited uh, to be back at it. Uh, today I have a, another interview with the last guest I had, even though this, this was actually uh, recorded almost a year and five months ago. That's crazy to say. Caitlin, I am sorry it, take, it took me this long to get this out, um, but this is another awesome interview with, with Caitlin Pontrella. Kind of followed up on our first conversation, but this time we were really diving into, you know, how do we, how do we promote play? How do we become better coaches or just better ambassadors for play? What are the things that we look for in great coaching and, and great leaders who inspire others to move? And I think the answers that you'll find here are going to be very different than what I know I entered into the industry placing the highest value on. So it's a, it's an awesome conversation with Caitlin. We want to thank her again for her insight and her time. And uh, without further than a year plus ado, here is part two with Caitlin Puntra. Did you get a chance to listen to our previous one? Did you listen back to yourself? What did you think? I hate listening to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did listen. Uh, it was good. Okay, good. I went through and like, I don't know what the heck happened, but it was more on my end than your end. I was cool. like, so the whole time my my volume was up and down. I was like, oh my god, someone's gonna turn this up to hear it in a in a in a soft spot and then blow out their eardrums when I all of a sudden get really excited <laughs> and sit in close to the mic and just I was like, 
And it was my first time recording it at the desk in the new house, so I don't know if that was it. I'm I'm gonna do I'm like gonna be really conscious of this distance today. Because <laughs> it was like I had to chop that thing up like it was Edward Scissor's hands like at the end. It was bad. I had to chop it all up and uh redo all the volumes. I had like yeah. Our two vo- vocal tracks turned into eight vocal tracks, and each one had it was set at a different volume, oh my so that I could so that it sounded more even throughout. I was like, "This is please, I don't want to do this again. This is <laughs> this is crazy." So, well, you know, I like to keep things memorable. Yeah, you will always. I will always remember you as the podcast that took the longest to finally make happen, and then the longest to actually edit. <laughs> Congratulations! Yes, do I get an award? Do I get something like a little badge for my website? Uh, I'm happy to make a patch. Do you want me to make a patch? I can figure that yeah. out. Yeah. So, uh, since I talked to you last, what have you been up to? Oh, when did we talk last? <laughs> um, a couple I've months, been... right? I think it's about two months ago now. Yeah, it's been two months. That's not bad. That was really fast turnaround for us. Yeah, uh, record time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, very busy trying to get the, the company uh, in order. Uh, we're trying to look for a new space in Seattle and um, not save a lot of time, but also there's a couple cool new projects that are popping up. We're doing uh, this thing called Source Share, which we're doing. We're sharing free resources in the areas of design, education, uh, and community leadership development uh, every month uh, through Patreon. Um, And we're launching some really awesome programs targeting uh, low-income youth as well as seniors. So a lot of cool little things popping up. And then uh, I have a a grant I've been trying to put together that Harbor Visions will offer called Sharing Challenges. It's the Sharing Challenges grant. And basically, I'm looking to get 10 people from the community to um, commit to being a trustee. And these 10 people uh, pay uh, pay into a pool $125 uh, or $100 every uh, three months to create a $1,000 grant. And then anybody in the community can apply to have that grant money to start up a program that uh, helps their community grow in some way. Uh, obviously in the world of movement um, and the, the, this group of 10 people get to then choose the winning project and now we have this kind of like grassroots small impact small small grant high impact kind of thing happen on happen in the community people get to be more about what's happening so giving money to the place to uh, wait to money to smaller communities yeah that's awesome um how did that come together like what what was the impetus for that um, so are you familiar with the Awesome Foundation by any chance? I'm not, but I'm hoping it's made up of people who are awesome. It is. It's awesome people doing awesome things. <laughs> so the Awesome Foundation, actually, where I got the inspiration for this. It's this, uh, uh, it's like guerrilla philanthropy, I guess. And, uh, basically 10 people come together, do exactly what I just said. Like they commit to doing it for a year. Like once every three months, they give it a hundred dollars to a pool and uh, then they get to pick projects inside their larger community. I mean, it's not movement specific. It's just like community, like anything. Can be, like I think one of the projects, like they built a giant, um, they, one, one group funded a giant uh, slip and slide. Another group uh, got like swings in the park. I mean, it's all sorts of things. These are just our awesome projects, right? And this is kind of, I think, that was a big inspiration for wanting to do this because there's not really a lot of money to support smaller grassroots communities and also like in parkour or in movement where like, you know, maybe I do, I do have talked to so many communities wanting to start up like a parkour silver program targeting seniors, or they want to work with youth, but don't have the funds. You know, this thousand dollars can help subsidize some of the costs 
or create, again, support-free programming so that they can offer that to their community. Um, and again, it's the community supporting the community. And it's easy for, there's a lot of people it'd be easy to do like give $500 a year to fund four grants and then have this connection to you're helping this larger national community grow, so. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's really interesting. And I'm fascinated on the idea of movement, philanthropy, and uh, how Parkour Visions functions as a nonprofit in general. Um, can you back up a little bit for me and talk sure. about how you first heard about pork core visions, maybe a little bit of the history of the company itself, as much as you, as you know of it. Um, and then how you guys hooked up. Is this exciting or? Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, okay. it's a little nerve wracking cause, uh, I just took over Parkour visions, uh, about four months ago. So, uh, I know that some of them are going to hear this and I just hope I don't miss anything. Um, <laughs> this okay, guys, this is Caitlin's version. This is the, the land she's living in, in her own head. Do not, uh, <laughs> do not play or hate. Oof. Okay. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so Park Revisions is a, a nonprofit. They um, were founded, I guess, in 2007. Um, so they've been in operations for uh, 10 years or just over 10 years. Um, and they were doing stuff before the, the group out here. Um, but it was, it was a large group of people who came together. Um, and over the last 10 years, they, uh, being one of the older organizations in the country, they've it really helped set some of like the standards for quality. Um, but they had a facility, uh, they're running classes, uh, all around Seattle. Um, and then, uh, last year, unfortunately they lost their space. Um, and we're looking to change the direction a little bit of the organization. And that's how I, I mean, I had started up the movement creative, uh, with two other partners in New York city doing something very similar. We, we were a social enterprise doing design and education and very much parkour visions is, uh, this threefold sort of um, organization focused on education, teaching, teaching and sharing, um, build and design. So they're doing parks and playgrounds and advocating for changing our physical environment. And then finally supporting, supporting community growth through sharing knowledge on how to actually teach and build things. Um, so I was very much like my company in New York. Mm. I was looking for a change. It was perfect timing. And uh, we met and it happened. I don't know. It was love at first sight. Yeah, exactly. You went on a moon. You went on a moonlit walk on a beach with parkour visions in your left hand. Yeah, and you exactly. Said, you well, just turned and you said, "Look out at the horizon." Parkour vision I, said, "I see the future." I saw it, and I actually saw. Uh, I, what really drew me to parkour visions was that there's so much opportunity uh, and so much untapped potential. Uh, you know, they had really they'd really grown out their teaching program through the gym. But there was so much that can be done now. I think working with grants and also local communities, uh, really getting parkour to uh, populations that could probably benefit from it most. Um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in hitting underserved populations that as low, such as low income, at-risk youth, uh, elderly women, you know, people who are traditionally facing incredibly high barriers to participation in fitness in the long term. Yeah, I know this is, man, this is going to get so much bigger and I, the conceptually, and I'm not sure I am a hundred percent qualified to speak on this, but all I'll say is, uh, the current model of fitness we are, are in or the world I live in is expensive. And 
<clears throat> and it's not like, at least from our end, I know that if someone wanted to come and train with me three times a week in our market and me write them a program because they have special needs or whatever, like that's going to cost them $350 a month in our market. I could not, you know, I couldn't, and that's good because we're in a, we're in a, you know, Indiana is not the most expensive place to live. Kudos if you guys want to save money. Seattle, yeah, Seattle, I've heard that Seattle, if you're making like whatever it is, $86,000 a year, you still quality for like low income housing subsidies. I didn't even tell him, I just, uh, covering my ears. Yeah. So it's crazy. I was like, uh, that's more than me and my wife make combined, but sure. Um, still low income. But at the same time, this problem is interesting to me because in order to run our facility and pay our coaches living wages and we don't and like totally. that is required. We don't, we don't have this year end meeting where we're like, we just made so much money. We're like, all right guys, we barely made it through again. Another year. <laughs> like great job. Oh, I think this, is, this is very common. I think, and I'm not, I'm definitely not by any means ever saying give, give things away for free. Like I'm, I want to find a mechanism and a way to uh, provide low cost programming Oh, that's yeah. subsidized or funded, but everyone's getting paid. Like I, I really think it's like people thinking like they're just going to give back and do nothing for nothing for nothing doesn't work, right? And yeah. being a nonprofit gives us this opportunity. One, we can. I, I want to see the, the the in the future the adoption, the, the development and execution of a volunteer training program, uh, and leverage volunteers to do some of our give back services. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, I think it's the. Participation in fitness is costly, but you shouldn't, yeah. as, as an owner, you should not, not as like an owner or a trainer, you should not, not charge for your services. But as a community, we need to be looking out for each other and finding ways to yeah. make movement accessible. Mm-hmm. And oh. sure. And again, this is what, what parkour, like, I, you know, and I used to have this hate love evolution with parkour because uh, this image that's it's bred by the, the media being really extreme. I, I feel like it's very off putting. Um, and I think it, it's a, the the biggest barrier for participating in parkour is getting past the fact that like you think it's some crazy kids jumping off buildings. But once you get past that, parkour to me solves all the major barrier like solves all the major problems and gets you over all the major barriers blocking people from truly participating in a lifetime physical activity. And all these other lifetime sports really aren't lifetime sports. They have, they have a high cost to participate in either between equipment or field fees or permits. You know, if you're in New York City, you know all about that. Um, but, you know, and then maybe go somewhere and like be with people like parkour is free. You know, you don't need any equipment. You can do it in your living room as well as outdoors. It's it's really up to you. So that it's accessible. You don't have to have a bus cart even um, to get to a facility. There's tons of free online learning resources. So you don't even need a coach. Uh, you know, it's just and, and then there's an awesome online online community that supports and helps people through that that growth and keeps them accountable. And, you know, that's like that's nowhere else. That's really nowhere else, truthfully. Like soccer, football, there's teams, there's there's equipment, there's fields. You know, it's I can't think of another athletic that I put in the same bucket in terms of like being able yeah. to I, connect. I, I get what you're saying. And I, especially because we know, you know, sports, youth sports have become year-round and very expensive. There's, I mean, and I'm sure – 
to try to have a little bit of, of perspective and humility on this, I think it's really easy to be like, oh, these industries are just trying to, to rake parents, you know, rake parents and kids and make money. I'm like, I'm sure they're trying to make ends meet too on some level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the only model I was just thinking of is I heard, of, uh, have you heard of the Iceland uh, soccer team? National soccer team uh, made it to the World Cup, won the Euros, uh, Euro Cup. But essentially, you know, they have 115,000 people in their country and they're competing on this large stage. And what they did is they poured money back into the youth system to make it free to play for kids to participate essentially on all levels. Yeah, so it's like a, a big movement and people have been kind of talking about that model because the U.S. just missed the World Cup. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, pay to play is like really potentially leaving out a lot of potential athletes. So I think this is just a common, like what you're talking on is like a global issue within just our, our society and culture right now. And we're trying to solve it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. I mean, movement's a human right. It's it's also like fundamental to like experiencing and being healthy in your world. So uh, giving people a platform or a, you know a medium through which to engage with it that's so important and obviously like again culture only really presents a few options and uh i guess to step back to what you're saying before about like working with this nonprofit and finding ways to connect to the community this is this is really important to me um to find ways to create sustainable programs uh for populations that like i said need it the most perhaps uh, who yeah. don't have choice. Like, you know, I grew up relatively privileged. I had a choice. I could choose it between track and soccer and lacrosse and whatever there was. And my mom would make sure I'm, I was good to go and had everything that I needed. And I had a choice and I chose parkour. But there are people who don't have a choice. And like parkour is in some ways the best option and the best option when there's no option. What do you think is the biggest barrier for uh, the underserved communities to getting into parkour? Like, besides trying to change the image a little bit or make it like broader, is it that they don't have like safe spaces to go and practice? Is it that uh, there's like a lack of knowledge about it? Is it you know? I'm trying to. What is what is the thing that you think is going to be the biggest pressure point to make a difference? Um, honestly, I think uh, there's a bunch of things I could talk to on this. Um, one of the biggest barriers is it's still cost of participation. You know, even offering we offer classes through community centers, um, but cost of participation, but also getting the word out that this thing exists. You know, also a lot of kids maybe don't have regular access to the internet or like other sorts of platforms. And again, their parents are deciding sometimes what they are or are not doing. Um, mm-hmm. So making it an option is the first step and making it an affordable option is the second. Um, and then picking people who, um, picking people to teach these classes and these, and to share parkour being uh Ideally, from those communities, or looking like they belong in those communities, uh, you know, there there is a cultural barrier and a, a lack of 
you know, when I see a woman teach, I feel much more, this is me personally, but when I see a woman do something, I'm, I feel much more connected to what she's doing because I think, oh, I can do that. She can do that because we have this kind of like visual understanding of who we are. Like you, you, if someone looks like you, you're likely to think that you can, you're capable of it too. Um, and this is like Julie Angel talks about, right? Like representation, the importance of representation, how it impacts people's psych- psyche and interaction experience with what they're doing. So, but. Yeah, I've been thinking back uh, to try to connect the dots for people a little bit. One, if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, this is part two of a podcast with Caitlin. So go back and listen <laughs> to part one. It will be the one right before this one. Uh, did Rafe start out at Parkour Visions? He did. He was one of the founders. Yeah. Okay. So Rafe Kelly, who was also a previous guest on the podcast and be uh, hopefully coming on a second time as well soon. Previous founder of Parkour Vision. So we're drawing all the little dots in the, in the human animal Forever. universe. Forever. Yeah. Uh, and Julie as well. I was just thinking uh, about Julie's book, Breaking the Jump. Mm-hmm. and kind of the history of parkour and all, how it has been such a grassroots movement and just like the timing how it came along like right as like this nascent internet is exploding yeah. and people are perfect. finding these like weird well, they're like what is this and being able to find it um mm-hmm. and how much has exploded and i think uh it was it's interesting to me the kind of um the grassroots nature of it in that there's there's a couple things that are just running through my mind. The first one is that I feel like you, like you're saying it is really accessible. It could be a, 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 the problem to solve all these problems, the problem to solve all problems. And I wonder if not like, you know, the most important thing I really am interested in the like volunteer teacher training, because I think one thing that happens is, um, people are searching for permission to share. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So when we did original strength workshops Mm -hmm. and we would teach people like the most basic movements, right? We teach them, how do you, how do you belly breathe? How do you roll from your front to your back? How do you rock? How do you crawl? But teaching them that wasn't enough. They still wanted to have some sort of certification to show they were allowed to teach. So just like we talked about permission to play, it, uh, giving people permission to play in a session, it's it's like people are looking for permission to be, feel like they are qualified to teach other people or share with other people. Um, and I actually think that the the required knowledge to help help people get started is actually a relatively low barrier to overcome. Um, and I know there's like the opposite kind of elitist mentality that I've heard in movement culture, which is like the best movers and teachers in the world should be teaching beginners because, uh, they're the ones who are going to be the best at it and have them like, have them like, "Mm, there's a lot more beginners than there are these elites for one for two when you're an elite, like, have you ever heard of the, the IQ teaching one where it's like, if someone is 10 IQ points or more higher than you, you learn from them much worse. Like it's much harder oh. to learn from them. Mm-hmm. And if they're within like the certain range of you, then you can actually learn from them better. And I'm, I'm just thinking, isn't it, isn't it okay if this is in this human movement world, 
if we allow people who are just like one or two steps ahead of you, like have just had a little bit of experience to come back and share because they're going to be more in touch with where you are. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Are you, you're, are you, are you shaking? Cause you're excited. No, I love this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Um, exactly. That's exactly the idea. And I think it's also, so one speaking to permission to teach, I think that, you know, when you teach, you are relatively independent. And this idea of getting a certification is like, um, the same effect as someone hiring you. Like you trust someone in their job because they've been hired, someone vetted them and said they know what they're talking about and I trust them, so you should trust them. Um, or I have a piece of paper from college and a lot of people, again, in movement disciplines have money disposal, more likely to be uh, a little more affluent, uh, same kind of culture that emerges from, right? But um, that's this idea of training volunteers. Um, one, I think we have a growing culture of giving back and sharing. Uh, and that's really a wonderful thing. I mean, especially here in Seattle, which is nice. Uh, it seems like there's a culture of generosity and giving. Uh, and people want to be involved in the community and want to share the thing that they love. Um, so if you can give volunteers, people, uh, a few basic tools to connect with their students, um, I think that you can do so much. And that, that's also like the benefit of being a nonprofit is that, you know, we have this, this ability to really move volunteers and get people engaged and involved in programs they care about or starting up new things um and that that's my goal moving into the future is, is you know I, I would love it if the community was designed to be both teachers and students and i think that many students will also find a test to this that there is a point in your training in your personal experience that like you can't get past unless you start teaching because the process of teaching teaches you so much about your own movement and your own practice and isn't i really like in martial arts is that even from the early stage, you have people all levels training together, teaching one another, solving problems. You know, this this culture of uh, teaching and sharing makes it much more okay also to teach and share um, yeah. and reflect and grow and so on and so forth. All so, the social cues we talked about last time, like yeah, movement, exactly. social cues. Uh, yeah, that's, I, that's one of the dojo rules I have is you are a teacher and a student for everybody when they come in. Um, you want to try something? Sure, let's, let's try. Uh, so what do, let's workshop this. We can workshop it together. You can take lead. Uh, what are the... <laughs> I know you're nervous about this. I'm uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the, in the, so one of my big projects for this year is is finally getting together a, a play-based coaching online workshop. Cool. Where... I try to help people frame play and your interactions around play and, and build some very basic frameworks for how you would um, – very basic, but I would say like very potent frameworks for how you organize your play and, and help share it with other people. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about this kind of volunteer training, and I'm thinking, well, what if we kind of open workshopped a couple of the – main principles or things that we would want um, brand new teachers or coaches in this in this movement space or parkour space or play space mm-hmm. to understand before becoming, before kind of like spreading that message. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think you can go both ways. I think it's like you don't, you don't want to create a high barrier to entry, but also there's like this certain standard that you want so that when people reach out and have interactions with people for the first time, these very maybe very basic principles are met and mm-hmm. 
that gives people a good experience that creates positive momentum. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So how about we go back and forth? You want to name one? I'll name one and then you can name one. Something you think is like real important. So my, my first thing that I teach my interns is just in, in in the strength and conditioning field, let alone in in the play field, is just having a, a, developing a real eye for uh, safety risks mm-hmm. in general because, you know, the beginners are going to be coming in and one of the biggest barriers is this, like, fear of movement, fear of injury. Um, mm-hmm. And I think being able to be really cognizant about checking your environment for potential safety hazards and also understanding, like, the risk, um, the risk of performing certain movements is just something that needs to be on the forefront of everyone's mind. I remember teaching a class one time and I, and, uh, what was I doing? It was early on and I just didn't think about like a kettlebell was kind of close to where this person was doing a Turkish getup. And it was like, it was kind of in her space a little bit. And, mm-hmm. um, a coach had come up to me and be like, Hey, you realize that's a safety risk. And I was like, Oh man, uh, yeah, it is. And I hadn't really thought or even saw that in the environment. I was just looking at people. Um, so that's something I'd, I think, I mean, it can be covered in 10 minutes, five minutes. Totally, yeah. It's just like, Hey, make sure this is part of your checklist. You're going to yeah. check the environment. Ahead, environment check. Yeah. That'd be one, one thing right off the bat. And I think most practitioners might already know that it's just something I'd want to reinforce. Like this is important now that you're sharing with other people that you're hyper aware of this, you know? Sure. Um, so I'm going to just link on to safety and actually expand it to say uh, you also check into social and emotional safety, uh, understanding where your new, again, I'm thinking about new coaches teaching new new practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, understand if they're all new practitioners, what is their social emotional experience of this space at the moment? You know, are, are they brand new to movement as a whole or are they coming from an athletic past? Because that's going to change whether they're not going to be hesitant, maybe nervous, um, they're socially anxious being around new people doing something that might be awkward or silly looking like there's something i've taught women before i've talked to people about teaching women sometimes for the first time oh, i might get slayed for saying something like this but for example i remember the very first time i went out and i do parkour and i had to crawl around doing quadrupedal i felt super super self-conscious that's like a a sexualized position uh in culture and then i'm just like i'm doing this with a bunch of men and i'm like kind of getting hit on because of other things and like so I actually like don't love because you were the you were the first woman in their space in like six months, and they were just like, "I have to, I have to try." But whenever I teach women, <laughs> you know, I, I actually avoid doing certain things that I know will make that have made me on what I've seen. I'll make like just because I know not all of them will be, but if this is gonna be your first movement experience with me, and I'm thinking about that, like I want it to be positive. I want it to be net positive, where like you don't experience hesitation or uh, doubt or shame. Um, it's the same idea of like. When you're setting a challenge for someone, uh, very common in parkour is to say, okay, ask me to make, how to make it easier. And I'm super against this. I'd actually rather you set a challenge at the lowest level and say, ask me how to make it harder um, and put the onus on that. Because what's that experience? If I say, like, if someone comes up to you and has to make it easier, they're probably feeling shame, maybe a little doubt. Maybe they don't even ask you because they don't want to be called out or singled out. But and they're, and they're underperforming. They're not. They're not the status quo. Instead, asking to make something harder. Wow, that's pride. I'm doing better. I, I you know, it's it's a very it's elated feeling. It's happiness. Mm-hmm. It's achievement. 
So what's the emotional, social uh, environment you're creating for your students? And a part of that is like, again, you know, choosing activities that are low on improvisation. So like if you have brand new movers with no skills, don't let them play add-on. That's, that's, don't make them, don't have them come up with their own challenges. They're not gonna what to do. It's gonna be, uh, it's gonna cause again, hesitation, maybe a sense of shame, nervousness of, I don't know what to do. And that's not positive, that's an emotional positive experience. Yeah. Instead, let them imitate you, create challenges that, that are preset. Um, but yeah. yeah, thinking about that social space, you know, like, and even having people introduce each other, regularly swap partners, um, avoiding avoiding the use of this is again a, a highly controversial thing. Avoiding the use of touch the first time someone comes out to a session because you have no idea what their thresholds for trust touch, uh, touches. And a lot of people don't have touch in their legs. So like, there are lots of little things like that. I can go through it in like then ten minutes, like you said. But social emotional safety as well as environmental safety are like the the three things that like can take any coach from like yeah nothing to something. Yeah, I think I have uh, in my ebook playful about to be released on ibooks and kindle for your pleasure uh this is the first time i've dropped that anyway uh i've been working on it i have like 10 new rules of play and one of them is you know simple to complex slow to fast like and i agree 100 percent with the the progression you always start easy this is actually how we program our group training classes is I say it's way easier to ramp someone up than ramp them down. And because just because of what you said, the emotional state uh, yeah. is is totally different. And yeah. it's such a when, – when you're like, wow, man, this is, these things I programmed are way too easy for you. I, I got to ramp you. They're like, yeah, heck, yeah, you got to ramp me up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's also tied to like, you know, I'm, I, I'm constantly learning new things. So I'm constantly back in this beginner space. And very, and more so than most people, cognizant of that emotional experience because I myself experience like I don't want to have to make this easier, but I don't want to do this, and everyone else is doing it, and ah, I'm just not going to come back to this class. I think I think another big thing for for brand new coaches is patience, and there's such a fear of um, and a fear of of boredom of of moments of indecision and awkward moments that make you want to not uh, you don't let a game find its find its potential or an activity find its potential because you feel like oh no this is oh this isn't working i got to i got to move on and you move so quickly that you miss you miss potential so i'll give an example just from this past week i was in a ninja class and we were doing there's this i find that movement culture tends to be very uh cyclical like i'll see an activity in one end of movement culture and then all of a sudden everybody is doing that activity within like two weeks (laughs) so i I just jumped on that train and do that so there was a simple reaction drill where you're dropping like two tennis balls right and your partner's trying to grab both of them as quickly as they can and bring them back to you love it and um we had been playing it for a little bit and i noticed that this one group was was having trouble with it and they weren't really they weren't they hadn't really progressed past simple and slow and i could see that their engagement level was dropping they hadn't they hadn't made it uh, more complex so at an earlier time in my life i just been like oh this game is not working i just screw it and this time i was like all right i'm going to switch partners and i'm going to make sure i can be a kind of a 
uh, a trendsetter or like kind of a, just a guide. And I'm mm-hmm. going to come in with a ton of energy and show them how I'm playing this game, like my interpretation of playing this game, and ask them, be like, hey, I'll ask them to ramp it up for me. Like, hey, you can make it harder for me. It's okay. And then, okay, oh, I'm allowed to ask for it to be harder and this. And then I'll just, I have this whole idea of um, as excited and as much energy and as goofy as you are willing to be will set the tone for what everyone else is. It's like I create the the threshold. So if my energy is low or, like, I'm taking things pretty seriously, I'm not not willing to be, like, laughing and trying things or slowly. I am go- no. Everyone else is going to try to exist below that. Totally, does it make sense? That's, that's going back to the idea of permission, giving permission. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's, it's like that social emotional experience. Like you have so much power as the coach to change the entire emotional environment of your classroom space. And in the same way um, of ramping it up, I can also show a lot of excitement and energy and attention to the simple tasks, which mm-hmm. allows other people to, I think re-engage in them and not become bored by them so if i'm like i'm jumping three feet onto a two by four like people could jump on that twice and be like can we do something more exciting mm-hmm. and i'm gonna be like i just hit my 10th in a row yes like i'm like gonna make make the the, the repetition actually exciting for people yeah, in the beginning really. so that it's, it stays that way and then uh with my kids though it because I, I don't know if you, you, you teach kids at all, like young kids. And, mm-hmm. uh, okay. So tell me if this is not true. <laughs> okay. Is you'll go from, all right, I give them a thing and they're all like, this is so easy. Oh my gosh. So easy. Look at me. I'm just dominating this. And I'm watching them. I'm like, you haven't, <laughs> you haven't stuck a single jump yet. What are you talking about? And then I'll be like, okay, okay. And I'll, I'll make it one step harder. And they'll be like, this is impossible. This is why would you, this is no one could possibly do this. And it's like, we jump so quickly from this is way too easy to how dare you, how dare you give this to us? You know what I, you know what I mean? There's like a total lack of self-awareness. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like really making it, I got to really like make it exciting at the first step and like really try to encourage them to, to, to stick the details to that. Cause when you ramp it up and it gets more complex, if they don't have those basic tools, then then that can be defeating too. And you're just like, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, kind of setting that <laughs> emotional tone and really working from that slow to, you know, making it exciting both to, uh, to really? do the basics and also, I think there's a, a lot of the coaching stuff. Like, have you noticed we haven't once talked about mechanics yet? Because that's like, <laughs> The technique is whatever. And honestly, like I just, it's, it's, you got someone who knows so much about technique, but have nothing in delivery and it doesn't matter. Like if you're not going to come on and turn on your passion every time you teach, like if you're not oozing excitement and passion, like I feel that as a student, I know you don't care and I don't want to care because you don't care. Yeah. You're getting paid to do this. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. That was a quick little primer. Um, Yeah. The only other thing I would add to that is also oh, know what, what's motivating your what's made, motivating your students' participation. And this is something you can just like do as a part of an introduction in the circle is, you know, uh, do you like do you like to compete? Do you like to socialize? I mean that, that was from that we talked about this maybe briefly last time, the four types of whatever and 
Uh, do you like to compete? Do you like to socialize? You, you just hear because you want to try it out and you enjoy it? Or are you, are there, is there some fitness goal related? So understanding what's driving someone's participation and what turns them on in terms of their experience will also allow you to cater activities or offer progressions or alternatives to an activity that connects with each of the people there so that they're getting the experience they're looking for. All right. I've got two more now that you said that. Uh, <laughs> I really feel like like a big thing is you got to become a body language doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's so many physical cues, and I'm gonna t- I can take this from like a play perspective, or I can even take it from my, you know, traditional strength and conditioning perspective. People, I'll have coaches come up and be like, "How do you know when to ramp someone up?" I'm like, "They told me everything I needed to know based on their body language, their face, how quick the movement was, what their mm-hmm. reaction was, setting the weight down." Like, I just looked at them. And was like, yeah, I think you can go up and try to give them permission to increase the intensity. Um, and, and then, so, and then also from an emotional, like you're saying, emotionally and socially safe and physically safe. You gotta like, are they are they clutching their arms across their chest? Are they kind of like downcast eyes? Yeah, totally. Are they like really getting frustrated after missing a jump another time or wh- whatever it is? It's it's really more about reading people than anything mm-hmm. and then being able to the second piece of this is being able to change your role as mm-hmm. a coach so there are so many different ways you can affect the session sometimes you need to lead because people aren't exactly sure how to start but you mm-hmm. can also be um like uh just a supporter like jumping in and out and, and just kind of like mm-hmm. uh okay, this person needs more attention. I'm just going to go over here and hang out a little bit. You can be a participant that's just showing people like the, like helping them gauge energy levels and excitement. You Mm -hmm. can be, um, I mean, you can be a student learning from people, but, uh, I have a whole list of this built out. I'm blanking on it, but essentially there are so many ways that you can interact in that situ in that situation. Let, what is happening in the kind of emotional state and the the physical cues that you're seeing dictate how you choose to interact with your group rather Mm -hmm. than just thinking I'm the leader. I have to lead. I have to show the way I have to be like really directing every element of this. There are things you can do to do check-ins with your group. You know, at the start of my classes, when I do teach, I like to ask, we circle up, we do each other's names. I usually ask a question and then, the, the third thing I do is a check-in. I say, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you feeling today? You don't have to say anything else. Just give me a number. 1 being is the worst day ever. 10 being is the best day ever. And, like, now I know really fast. Like, if someone says 4, 3, 2, like, okay, they're having a shitty day. So this might affect the way they show up and perform today. And I need to be, like, emotionally aware of that versus someone, like, who might say, like, 10, 10 or 11. Like, you know, like, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So, uh, and anytime in the class, like, if you see people doing a lot of different things, you can, like, pause the class. How are we feeling? Raise up your hand, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, you're told this thing, want to keep going, or you're bored out of your mind, close fist. And that's, that's changed the game. You know, it's, it's, and it's really fast. People are not, maybe people are spread out, so they don't really see each other so they can just make a decision. It's not vocal, they're not singled out, so they can say what they honestly feel by, by showing. And, uh, you know, you can do this at any time to gauge your group. Yeah, change, change the, change it. I'm making a fist. I just here. like the power fist. I just like the power yeah. fist a lot. Change it. No, but yeah, so I think that that like building in check-ins to your classes when you're class planning, thinking about when, like, especially if you're doubting yourself, I think that that we talked about earlier about patience, 
so many new coaches are quick to rush from activity to activity because they think they need to keep giving this person new things when like really a newcomer could probably spend like 15 minutes doing a set of jumps because this is really interesting to them because this is really new to them versus you, which might be bored out of your mind if you've done this a thousand thousand times. So by asking, you can self-check your own emotional biases to a circumstance and ensure you're actually, again, meeting the needs and interests of your students. Cool. I hope yeah. there's a great, uh, I hope we just created like a wave of thousands of amazing teachers right there. Coaches. Bam. Boom! Just like that. And guess Last what? This is this is right in your alley because it's this <laughs> podcast is brought to you for free. Exactly. <laughs> I love uh, it. Free sharing of information. Exactly. Uh, you mentioned the Patreon thing again. Patreon's like a, isn't that kind of? Uh, I I feel like a, or a Patreon. Patreon, yeah. Okay, so it's I was told that I was supposed to start a Patreon account by one of my students, and I don't really know what it is, but I assume essentially people can donate any amount of money their choice and they get access to extra content yeah, essentially or they just, you just support what you do yeah um you know sometimes it's extra content maybe it's early access you know maybe you get yeah. a week early whatever it is but yeah uh patreon is just a way for uh people to support creators uh artists you know the idea of patrons back in the day you'd have someone pay you but now this is like done on a small scale where you'll have a couple levels maybe someone pays five dollars every episode you release and, you know, you, you accumulate 10 people or whatever it is. Now you're making a little bit of income to help support the product that you're doing. And that's like the idea for, and it's still free, right? So like for me, it's like with SourceShare. So we started this thing called SourceShare through uh, Parkour Visions, where again, every, every month we're trying to release uh, two to four new articles, uh, whether it's like coaching resources, learning as a practitioner, building as a do-it-yourself person, or uh, growing as a community leader. You know, we're, we're trying to be pretty broad in what we're presenting. Um, and we're asking people to volunteer writing to be a part of this, but everything gets released for free online, ultimately. But, um, you know, this culture of open education, parkour grew through free sharing. And uh, I think that we as a community can choose to continue to support people's free learning as we've grown, because some of the free resources are now really outdated. We have grown a lot in terms of our own knowledge. So let's continue to advance that, share it, uh, and provide a database for people to access learning and uh ultimately that whole project i hope to have housed on its own website and put it with my game website and make it all one giant learning playland um but um, playland i want to go yeah. to there yeah so but that's like the goal for now is like become a member of that it's five dollars every time we release uh, a set of articles um and that's like once a month and that's like if you really that you read would you buy this author a cup of coffee if yes then become a member and support this. Also, if you care about open education, if you yourself benefited from open education, then yes, this is a very obvious, like, yeah. you know, it's just so. I like that. the idea of supporting creators. <clears throat> I, I was just thinking, like, my costs for running the podcast, and I've, I, I'm, even when I'm not making new podcasts. So let's just disregard the time to to set up the interview and take time off of work and organize time away from the fam to do it. And I'm not complaining because I love doing it, but there's that cost. And um, then just like hosting podcasts and having a website to host it and continuing that process Ooh, yeah. is like, you know, not unsubstantial. It's like 300 bucks a year. And then if you think 
that I've had this podcast for four years, I'm like, holy crap. I just had this moment where I was like, holy crap, I've put $1,200 into this podcast so far plus, you know, 200 hours of time. That's a lot of commitment. So now, to be fair, I have gotten two pairs of Shama sandals, which basically offsets that whole cost to me because they're amazing. And you should check them out at shamasandals.com. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, there is. I think that's an awesome idea to to support creators and and have that low barrier to entry. I love the idea of buying the creator a cup of coffee, and honestly, I'm going to be subscribing to that today because mm-hmm. one of the things that I know I'm personally is a barrier for me is I I've just been so fearful about dipping my toe into building things. And building yeah. new things, and I'm just like, I don't know if I really have the skills for this. And I know that I'm not going to develop the skills just like anything until I start, and I make a ton of mistakes, and it sucks for a while, and then it gets better. And I'm like, mm, can I just pay someone else to do it? Okay, I'll do that for now. And I keep doing that, but it's it's unsustainable for me. So I know I gotta just like bite it and start building. What would be, what would be an article that you would love to read that would help you get started over past your barrier that's preventing you? Um, Tell me and I'll write it. Yeah. You know, I see the thing thing for me, like, this is going to make me sound super unhandy, but it's like I even have a barrier to entry with, like, I don't know how to make a diagonal cut. Like, I don't know where – I don't even know where to start. I'm like, which saw do I use? I have this circular saw, but I can't figure out how to set it up on this little tiny workbench I got without killing myself. I'm worried I'm not going through the wood the right way. Like, how do I, oh, I got a countersink. Great. What the F is it? You know what I mean? Like I, I just, yeah. we never grew up with any of that. So I'm learning it later. Uh, owning a house has made me more handy. I think I could probably fuddle my way through it, but like, what do I need to do? How many cross beams to be structurally? Like, what, yeah, what do I need good. to do? And I, I honestly think I need like, I almost feel like there could be a really cool series where, the builds start from the most simplistic build, like a precision jump thing where it's just like, yeah, yeah. and then you like, you graduate by building a vault box or something. So yeah, you have literally. like these projects that slowly ramp up in size and scope. And have you heard of um, the sturdy made group on Facebook? Yeah, I yeah. have. I am a stalker there. However, uh, I think it's the same thing that we talked about before is like, organization of information yeah. is Actually, it's just like that now. so story made was house okay. hook, hook me up yeah so there's actually on our website now we have a if you jump under our initiatives there's a sturdy made page and what i'm doing is over the next two months i am going through the sturdy made group looking for some of the, the highlights the best of mm-hmm. sturdy made and we'll be linking them and indexing them on this website page. Yeah, because this is, to me, it was just like, oh, crap, I'm a newbie. This is overwhelming. People are using terms I'm not totally sure of. They're making arguments about stability of certain angle. Oh, that one definitely needs another cross. I'm like, what? Huh? Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. This, I'm going to give this to my friend's dad. He's been doing woodworking for 50 years and let him do it. Okay. But it would be such a – it honestly uh, – we talk about like feeling empowered and, and stuff through movement. I think actually being able to build something really simple like that would make yeah, me totally. feel super empowered. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, finding a way to lower the barrier to entry and make me, I yeah. just need you to make me feel emotionally safe. 
That, that's and my plan. Physi- and physically safe that I'm not going to kill myself so with, this, a, with this circular saw. We have a great saw. builder on our team. We have a great builder on our team, and I'm sure I can uh, get him to write up some stuff on like in, like how to get started or you know what yeah. you need. I mean, you'd be, you'd be surprised. Power I think at how many times the the basics would really help people. Yeah. No. I mean, I remember. I mean, I remember when I first started building things. I was really, really nervous because I was also with someone who really like was very comfortable navigating all that. So I felt like oh gosh, I can't ask questions, but I had the opportunity to work in a wood shop when I was in college. So I had some comfort working with uh, power tools and other machinery. So, um, but there are so many things you don't even need a lot. You can have just like some really simple power tools. You get some pre-cuts from Home Depot and you can make a lot of things without having a lot of stuff. So, uh, mm. you know, mm. and that's just like a really, that's like the kind of the beginner way to get in. I don't want to own any equipment. Yet. I don't know what I want. I'll have them cut it for me. I'll just come and hold the measurements so that I got around with it in New York City when I didn't have space. Yeah. Um, so. I feel very comfortable with a drill and screws. Good. Like, hook That's me up with that. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Cool. Um, we have, do you have, like, another 10, 15 minutes? Is that okay? 10 minutes? I have this always. I give us, like, I put down three hours in my calendar. I never know, like... <laughs> uh, I told you it was like a, it's like 45 minutes to an hour and a half and we can make that work you say that I know but I feel like I've been on like a couple of these with other people where it just like it goes on and it's just like plus then I need to do uh, some like I need to take a nap yeah okay I'm so <laughs> circle let's 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 kind of try to tie a bow on this one thing and then I want to yeah. hit one other thing circling back you know, you have all these cool initiatives and projects going on. Um, what do you, like, ultimately, there's just not that many nonprofit gyms or organizations out there like this. I know, I know of one, I think I know of one, like it was in, it was in Philly or something. It was like a, a weightlifting gym where kids under under kids could come in and uh there people would come in and pay for sessions to be trained by these kids mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool um i can't believe i'm blanking on that steve's paleo kits i think benefited that if you remember okay. like those things that were just like giant jerky and dehydrated fruit mush balls uh and a packet Okay. I actually I ate them a lot. They were fine. I like them. <laughs> uh, but the, the, just, you know, do you think this is something that – what do you think – I guess what do you think are the, the biggest benefits of operating from this from this nonprofit perspective in a for-profit industry? Sure, absolutely. Um this is definitely one of the reasons that drew me to PKV. I think that there is a lot of opportunity available to 501c3 uh, when you have tax exempt status and you can apply for grant money. Uh, there's also just a culture around uh, partnership between the public and the private sector, or the nonprofit and the private the public the private sector uh, historically. And uh, one thing I would like to see uh, PKV grow into is. Um, be viewed less as a competitor to for-profit businesses and more as a partner. Uh, the same way, like out here in Seattle, there's this uh, group called Vertical Generation. They're a nonprofit that uh, tries to get uh, kids active in climbing from low-income communities, um, and they partner up with all of the for-profit gyms in the area. 
um, you know, and help support their mission. And this idea, I think that Parkour Visions can grow to uh, have a real national presence in supporting for-profit companies all over uh, the country in achieving their kind of social mission. Because so many companies in parkour, private companies have these social missions that they're not sure how to meet within the structure of their for-profit entity because they still need to make money, how do they offset it? Um, you know, we can provide that outlet by providing services. Uh, and on top of that, there's a thing called like uh, fiscal sponsorship where we're able to uh, extend uh, basically financial oversight and our nonprofit status over uh, other charitable projects uh, in partnership with other groups. So, you know, if you're running a company in New York and you want to try to get uh, classes for homeless children uh, and there's a grant in your neighborhood, we could potentially be a sponsor for that kind of program because it furthers our mission, helps you further your cause, and everyone gets paid. Uh, <laughs> right? So, I really hope that I think the really unique opportunity as a nonprofit is this space for collaboration with other groups and in enabling them to achieve, again, their social ends as it aligns with our mission. Um, awesome. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens in the next couple of years now. Me too. Yeah. You want to collaborate, reach out to me. <laughs> uh, I will. Yeah. We'll, we'll collaborate. I do stuff yeah. all the time. For anybody, anybody listening. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone else too. Sure. Yeah. I guess. Them yeah, too. Yeah. I'm also looking for trustees for my grant. So, cause I have, we'll have guest trustees in the future and, um, I just think it's a really powerful, small, powerful way to make a change in our communities and, yeah. Uh, I love it. I love all of it. Uh, but, you know, yeah. if you really love it, you got to put your dollar behind it, people. It's true. Just saying. You can be, like, there's so many things people are like, oh, that's such a great idea. And you're like, will you, will you donate to this? No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you have the money, you have time. I think it's like, it's, you have to really care. You have to really decide whether or not you care about this. If you benefit from it, you want other people to benefit from it. You can give, you don't have to just give money. You can also give your time, your expertise. I've had lots of volunteers come on and offer to help with the web or with photos. And there's, there's lots of ways you can also even just locally give back to your own organization. You know, it's, there are ways to give beyond financial ends as well. And I think that that's also something that I'm trying to get better at is whenever people reach out, like here are multiple paths to being involved. And I want you to get, again, going back to that again, what do you need for this to be a meaningful experience to you? How can I make sure you're getting that? Um, wow, it's like your coaching applies to life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Weird. Uh, okay, the one thing we haven't gotten to touch on at all yet that I at least wanted to to hit on is the art of retreat and the idea of stillness versus yeah. movement, which we talked about Ooh. for a little bit on the phone a oh, long my. time ago. Oh, my gosh. Um, so. kind of separate things like that. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of I kind of bungled them together in my brain. Okay. Um, so art of retreat is yeah. a art of retreat is a leadership and education education conference for parkour and movement. Um, there's obviously a heavier emphasis on parkour, but anyone within the field of movement would benefit, I think, from attending this. Uh, and it's a week weekend long event where uh, we basically have 16 speakers, um, and there's uh, four different sessions. You see four of the 16. Um, across education, design, uh, management, business, uh, community, what, I mean, everything and anything related to our whole culture, right? So 
uh, but people come in talk about various things across all of that. You know, one year we had someone speak on uh, the dangers with landing uh, or how to make our community more inclusive or how to approach uh, how to how to uh, approach branding and marketing development. So it's it's really all over the place. Uh, but it's really cool for that reason because you can kind of pick you can curate your experience. I, I want to only hear about design this year, so I'm gonna just pick all the four talks that are on design because we try to spread them out so that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then it's 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 set away. I mean, this year we're gonna be out in Seattle, uh, the Seattle area. We're gonna rent a camp, so cabins, showers, all that kind of nonsense, and uh, be and we want it to be essentially a bit of a getaway. The, the whole event was originally conceived as this idea of people sitting in living rooms. We had like I was just at this evening. It was in the, I was at rendezvous one year, and it was like. Wouldn't it be really cool, like, you're sitting around a table to do this all the time. You sit around a table with a bunch of your friends, talking these these ideas, and it gets really interesting. People present concepts, you debate it, right? So this idea of, like, let's get around the kitchen table or living room and talk about an idea. Someone presents something, we talk about it. Um, and the first year it was all in beach houses, a second year we on an island. Um, and we're kind of trying to get back to that vibe where people are gathering together in these informal spaces to have meaningful conversations with one another around topics that affect our discipline, our culture. Um, yeah, and it's a little bit of movement in there, but the focus is really on uh, education and conversation and creating your network and building a pure group. Uh, hmm. Because that was also that too, as like a leader in parkour, there's so many people in movement as well who run these businesses as we kind of tuned in a little earlier, um, where you're not making a ton of money. And uh, sometimes the work is really, really thankless. And, uh, the discipline as a whole celebrates athletes, not leaders, not coaches. You know, the, the videos that get the most hype, the people with the most followers, the names of the most recognition are people who are doing the big jumps, the cool videos, the, you know, and not that there isn't value to that, uh, but if there's no space and time in which we are also celebrating our coaches and our leaders, uh, that's going to lead to burnout. And it's going to, you know, so that was also part of it, like, let's create a space where we're celebrating the people who help teach the athletes or like, you know, and create a cultural appreciation at a higher level, a peer network, as I said, at the higher levels so that these groups can communicate to the field of value and energize, hopefully leading energized from the weekend to go on and do what they do uh, for the rest of the year. Woo. Cool. So yeah. like, I'm going to pitch you some ideas right now. Pitch it. All right. So what about, uh, so for example, you would bring someone out and I could talk like how to build a kick-ass ninja program or how to create game, game-based game program, programming for adults or three avenues to increase your revenue that you using the skills you already have that you don't even yeah, operate I mean, on or whatever. Yeah, the format that we, that we use is a thing I call teach and talk. So it's I recommend the presenter teach for about 30 minutes. 30 to 50 minutes and then the rest of it's discussion or activity or activity oriented so you get people to generate their own content create their own solutions work together on something to present i don't know i kind of been open to the the teachers each year but yeah i think it's it's Mm. it can be very relatively expertise niche knowledge like last year we had a couple we also had a couple of governance talks um i'm super blanking but we're also through the art of retreat website over the next couple weeks we're going to be releasing short little five minute um clips interviews like cat like short we're calling it short sparks where like it's a it's like the idea in a nutshell uh from each of our speakers from last year so you can also get an idea of the kind of content that's coming out and applications open to attend 
application. Oh yeah, so it's also an apply to attend event. So it's the whole event's capped at 100 people because we're trying to again create that small group feel. Um, and uh, you have to apply to attend. So oh we gosh. invite a few people, but applications so to speak and to attend. So you can be both a speaker or attend. Yeah. So, but like it's it. also like an it. opportunity because there's so like I think that the reason we're behind is like there are so many people talking about like lack of celebration, lack of recognition, who do great work but do it behind the scenes and do it very quietly, who I've never heard before. So this gives them an opportunity to submit to me their qualifications and then get involved in front of an audience that can really appreciate what they do. Where they might be overlooked otherwise because they don't have the name recognition. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool event. I love it. How long have you guys been doing that for? Three years, this is gonna be the fourth year. Uh, and I, I organized that with Alan Tran, who is a part of Enso Movement down in North Carolina. And Adam McClellan, who's a part of Parkour Generations in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So, two awesome people as well. If you need cool people to talk yeah. to. Uh, yeah, hook me up. <laughs> always, I'm always and looking. Actually, you should come to this event and like try to like podcast with everybody all weekend. Oh my gosh! You'll have like you're talking about like a hundred people, all who are like super deep in t- inside movement culture, and uh, you know. You can just back-to-back people. If you oh want my it. gosh! Yeah, think about that. Would that would be a great idea. That's actually a great idea. Um, all right, guys, I'm going to get on Patreon. Do you want to sponsor my trip out to Seattle? <laughs> I'll do. I'll, I'll release uh, 80 podcasts in three days. And the nice thing is the the ticket to attend includes everything, so it includes housing and meals. So the whole weekend is. And it's not. It's not. The, it's two fifty to attend. So it's. It's pretty. It's relatively cheap for a weekend yes, in a cabin in a place, and uh, we'll we'll take care of transportation as well. So, getting you from the airport to where you need to go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last thing, stillness. Yeah. So yeah. T- tell me about your obsession with stillness. Uh, it's okay. So, um, I'm going to start on this one. Um, I started meditating in eighth grade. Uh. Because I I did so for those who don't know I uh, did a lot of archery uh, I was competing nationally and had a lot of fun doing that uh, but a part of that was just like bringing awareness to your body yourself being able to like have like an understanding at a, a micro level of like when you're moving a tiny little muscle and so uh, this idea of tenderness to your body and your movement start off very young um, and uh, I really always had a tough time sitting still. And uh, as I found parkour, I started to find ways to mix meditation with parkour uh, and movement. And I mean, walking meditation has been around for ages, but um, kind of elevating that beyond and looking at how do we create a flow state, I suppose, to some degree, but also just a a hyper-aware state where we're focusing either on uh, our physical experience very deeply through some sort of like fixed activity or challenge, or again, through uh, really simple, like you can meditate while balancing, you can meditate while um, doing a jump even. Uh, it's just a matter of how you're tuning your focus. Um, but I really, I think that uh, bringing these two together is really, really valuable. Um, obviously, so much of our lives, that, like we're constantly in distraction. Even when we're training, we are facing tons of distractions, the kids over there running and playing, the cars, the sounds, other people around me, um, and being able to manage your focus um, and control your energy and your direction um, is really important to, I think, performing at a high level. 
and I, I mean meditation is very much just about being present to the immediacy um not being carried away by distraction i feel like there is a a subculture of uh, of within movement there's a subculture within movement culture right now that's starting to talk a lot about stillness and stillness practice being the the contrast that you need to like the busyness of your movement your movement practice in your life needing some time to balance that with stillness sure and i think that uh for me personally i used to kind of just say well when i'm when i'm moving when i'm doing like my my resets and my breathing practice like that's that's essentially moving meditation for me but now with a little bit more experience i feel like it's it's not quite the same thing as just being still and being um it puts me in a slightly different state of mind and i i also find them to be refreshing in very different ways mm-hmm. um so i think i think of when i use the word stillness i'm thinking of like having control uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think of Tai Chi where there's this control in your emotions, control in your breathing and you're, mm-hmm. you're tuned in to everything that's moving. Um, you know, and also coming from a place rather, rather than your movement coming from a place of like adrenaline, coming from a place that's the complete opposite, you know, where you have control of your breath, your emotions, mm-hmm. energy, your body, um, and the, the ability to create stillness within yourself so that when you do face a, a challenge, a significant challenge, you are not, you're not jerking into that reaction but rather coming mm. from a place of like calm and peace and that like they mean mm, being relaxed to execute uh obviously helps you perform better um yeah like, so you're you're i think maybe we're taking it from two slightly different perspectives right you're talking about kind of like the stillness the stillness before the storm almost like being able to center yourself and, and calm yourself in the moment of action cultivating that as like yeah. a state of being through yeah. practice. I mean, there's also like the practice of moving, movement and stillness being like cultivated at the same time. You could be in motion, but also still. Yeah. And I'm still thinking them of almost like separate entities where I'm thinking like, mm-hmm. like you move a lot. You also need to be still and Ooh, like shut down, shut down mm-hmm. the, shut down stimulus. Totally. Be, be non like, like, be with your own thoughts be still chill sure. uh we talk about this like we're it's like busyness culture we sure i don't even think people really take time to daydream anymore because of your phone sure you know i almost yeah, feel like that can be a stillness like i'm laying on the ground staring up at the sky mm-hmm. thinking things like even that's like a stillness practice yeah. to me well, i think it's the, it's the reduction so like reducing it so that there is minimal distractions like one of my favorite ways to meditate is uh in like one of the dance studios down there when no one's around and i can uh do like some really simple tai chi uh sequences but all like it's so that there's no music there's no people there's no other distractions so i am just being present to my body entirely i'm not doing that's physically like physically intensive or challenging but I'm, I'm doing enough where I'm able to actually keep focus. Because when I sit down and I, I sit still, uh, I'm sitting all day, you know, for my job, for example. And I don't want to continue to do that. I actually would like to be able to blend my meditation practice with my movement practice to some degree. And I've been able to, I think, for me personally, achieve uh, a similar state of, uh, like, mental clarity through that process. But 
I definitely never want to discourage anyone from, I think everyone thinks meditation is like sit down, be still, physically still, so you can find emotional stillness or uh, um, mental stillness. But I do think that you can also create, like I said, fixed patterns where you're not creating new patterns. Like I'm going to do the same movement like for the next 20 minutes. Um, and so your body's moving, but you're not creating, you're not actively distracted by the process of creating. You're just experiencing your body doing the, this maneuver. Mm. That's, that's the thing that you're experiencing your body sitting somewhere. Um, yeah, I think it's a nice. I really love uh, Frank Ferencich's idea of high contrast living, and you have these kind of two ends of the spectrum. Frank, also previous guest on Human Animal, check it out. Cool. iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. What episode I'm, number? You're making oh, me look it up now. I do. I. Oh, whoa! I just got burned. I just got burned. Sorry. I'm going to look it up and I can just cut out the fact that it took me a while to look it up and no one will ever know. No one will ever know that I had this gaffe. <laughs> That's amazing. Also, before, since this is going to get cut, I was going to say, you know, how like uh, weightlifters talk about they'll, they'll get high before they lift because they're more relaxed and they're able to perform more, like perform better because their body is more relaxed. I was like, probably shouldn't be talking about smoking and and lifting, but it's been studied. <laughs> it's science. It's science. Yeah. And now I'm leaving it in there that you said that. Don't do that. Don't do drugs. <laughs> uh, episode 60. Episode cool. 60 for Frank. Exuberant Animal with Frank Francich. Uh Okay. I think that was a nice way to end it. Kind of calm. Yeah. Uh, let's stay in touch. Let's do another one in... Uh, Six months. Six months to a year after we have time to actually go out and be people and change. Yeah. And then absolutely. come back and reconvene. Yeah. Some new concepts or new things that are, are, totally. are on the forefront of our mind yeah. at that point I in think our a lives. Great, a great time might be with the retreat. And again, I encourage anyone else to take a look into the event and to see if it might be a fit for them. And feel free to contact me about that. And uh, if anyone wants to share resources they've generated, SourceShare is a great platform to do that. And I'm always looking for volunteer authors. Hopefully, we'll be to paid authors once we get to a certain number of followers. But um, you're going to have to send me links to all the stuff. I will. Because I feel like uh, we covered a lot of ground today, and there's a lot of different resources for people to jump in and get involved, which is really cool. Um, because, you know, uh, a lot of times when I talk to people, like, they're really, they're, there's only really like one option for them to get involved with people and that's like hey follow me on social media or come to my event mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. that's it and so the fact that you have uh multiple different areas for people to reach out and start thinking and get involved in i think is gonna be a really cool yeah. aspect of this so. how can i get involved with you and your community again we're a nonprofit. we have a really unique position to help for-profit companies achieve their social missions uh in, in line with our social mission so always looking for partnerships all over the country interesting Projects, people, you know, open up the up the door. So awesome! Uh, thank you, Caitlin. This is great. I'm glad we made it happen. Yeah! Hooray! <laughs> and I, I really feel. I don't know if you can tell from your end. I swear, I was not leaning back that much. I hope my voice is more steady. Yeah, really close the whole time. Okay. Let's. I'm fingers are crossed. I'm gonna go climb right now. There's a climbing dude behind me. It's oh my gosh! Yeah, have fun. Yeah. Cool. All, right, All right. Talk to you soon. It's so great to talk. I will see you soon. I'll send you information on the retreat. I'll thank you. Yeah, please do. Seriously.
Yeah, I will. Boom, guys, we did it. We created a podcast. It is going to go out. Uh, thank you so much uh, for new time listeners or long time listeners. Thank you so much for, for being here. Uh, we really appreciate it. And if you have any questions, shoot them over to freefitguy at gmail.com. You can check out freefitguy.com. Uh, look up uh, Playful, Unleash the Power of Play on I, uh, the iTunes bookstore. You can check that out for more information. And hope you guys have a very playful day. Take care.